Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of deep, rich, flavorful broth. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about ramen, one of the most delicious foods on the planet. Yeah, you've probably heard about ramen before. Yeah. Well, I think most Americans probably think of ramen as those really, really cheap little packets of crunchy noodles and a little seasoning packet popular with poor college students. Yeah. On that note, I actually thought it was hilarious. When I was searching online for ramen, Google gives you these like suggested questions. Yeah. And over half of them were like, can I survive on only ramen noodles (laughs) or will ramen noodles make me sick? Sad. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of is. So those, those are instant ramen. They are the instant, super cheap, not nearly as good version of an actual food. Yeah, we're going to be talking mostly about restaurant ramen, I guess you could say. Right. Yeah, so this is a Japanese noodle soup dish, one of Japan's most popular foods. In Japan, there are ramen restaurants all over the place. You can get a bowl of ramen for anywhere between 500 to 1,000 yen usually, between 5 to 10 U.S. dollars. And basically, just to give you a quick idea of what ramen is, you're going to have wheat noodles served in a meat or sometimes fish-based broth, and it can be flavored in all sorts of different ways and topped with all sorts of different things. There's a vast variety of different types of ramen. All different regions in Japan have their own special variation that they serve. Pretty awesome. Yeah, it's become so popular there's over 5,000 ramen restaurants or ramen-ya in Tokyo alone. Mm. You can find ramen. Yes. It will not be difficult if you are in Japan. It'll be hard not to find ramen if you're in Japan. Paul, you want to hop in the way back machine? Yeah. Let's go way, way back to the late 19th century. Yeah, you know, you don't have to go as far back as I had expected to find the early times of ramen in Japan. I think we can just do the Wayback Machine today. Yeah, instead of the Way Way Back. Yep, Well, you know, I actually, can we just jump way, way back for a second? I just have a quick little thing, and then we can hop forward. I'm glad you got something. What is it? Yeah, well, I saw that there's a story that ramen was introduced to Japan in the 1660s for the very first time by a Chinese scholar. Zhu Shunsui. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. <laughs> Not good at Chinese. But this guy was an advisor to Tokugawa Mitsukuni, a prominent daimyo of the Edo period. Important guy. So the story was that Mitsukuni was the first Japanese person to eat ramen, but most historians apparently think that this story was invented just to embellish the origins of ramen, or if it did actually happen, that it didn't really lead directly to what we now think of as ramen but that's the farthest back thing i found that's cool that's cool it's always fun to find the earliest story yeah whether it's a little bit myth or reality yeah it's it wouldn't be surprising if someone ate some chinese noodles yeah yeah at some point in japan yeah yeah basically the story is just oh some guy ate chinese noodles a really long time ago Modern ramen, let's, let's jump forward a couple hundred years. Most likely, ramen was introduced 
by Chinese immigrants in the late 19th or early 20th centuries at Yokohama's Chinatown, which is Japan's largest Chinatown. We've talked about that before a little bit. Yeah. But in the early days, it wasn't quite like today's ramen. It didn't have toppings. And it wasn't like its own standalone meal. It was apparently a little noodle dish that you'd eat at the end of a meal. So not as hearty as today's ramen. But, of course, over time, Japan put their spin on it, as they do. As they do. And now we have just tons of, tons of crazy stuff. And ramen really took off in Japan because it was quick and cheap. The noodles just had to be boiled for a couple minutes. It was really fast to make. You could make a big batch of broth that would feed people all day long. So it was really popular for blue-collar workers. If you're just in a hurry, you're working real hard, you can just hop over to a ramen place, eat in like 15 minutes, you're ready to go back to work. Yeah, that's awesome. So the first ramen restaurant is called Rai Rai Ken. And that opened in Asakusa, Tokyo in 1910. And this was owned by a Japanese person, but they employed 12 Cantonese cooks from that Chinatown where ramen originated. So this was authentic Chinese noodles still. But at the time, it wasn't called ramen. It was known as Shina Soba, which translates to Chinese noodles. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But that word Shina is now considered pejorative. So don't call it that. It's called ramen now. And that word ramen has only been around since the 1950s. Interesting. Yeah, that's pretty recent. I was a little surprised to learn that. Yeah, me too. And this word, the word ramen, is not even a Japanese word. What? Yeah. I didn't see that. Where's it come from? The word is a Japanese approximation of a Chinese word, ramen. I think that's pretty close, the Chinese pronunciation. Okay. So if you've seen the word ramen written out in Japanese, it's written in katakana. Because, as you may recall from our Japanese language episode, katakana is used for foreign loan words. Yeah. Yeah. I never noticed that, but that would be a clue. Yep. Yep. Ramen, it sounds so Japanese. Yeah, I mean, people definitely connect that word with Japanese culture. But yeah, Chinese word said in Japanese. And the Chinese word, lamian, translates to pulled noodles. Because the way these noodles were made in China was they'd make this dough, roll it into a log, and then they stretch that log out dozens of feet until it's real, real skinny. And then they chop it up into individual noodles. It's pretty cool. I saw a video of them making that stuff. I mean, they stretch it out really, really, really long, and it doesn't break. Like, they're magical noodles. It's pretty cool. Noodle making is definitely a fine art. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's another name that is used sometimes these days for ramen, chuka soba. Like shina soba, this also means Chinese noodles, but it doesn't have that negative connotation. So you might see that around too. Good to know. Yeah. Most of the time, it's ramen. So during and in the years after World War II, ramen pretty much disappeared because of food rationing and food shortages. In 1945, the year World War II ended, Japan recorded its worst rice harvest in the previous 42 years, which led to widespread food shortages. To help combat this, the United States, who was occupying Japan at the time, flooded Japan with wheat flour. 
Yeah, so they're rationing out this wheat flour. But before long, some of that wheat started being diverted into these black markets that sprang up to feed people. And these included food stalls, which were technically illegal at the time because the American occupying forces, you know, they were doing the rationing, so they didn't want people just out selling food on the streets. So they banned outdoor food sellers, and thousands of people running these food stalls were arrested during the occupation. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and I think it uh, tells you how important they were, that people kept getting arrested, but people kept selling it, and people kept buying it, mm-hmm. and the ramen continued to flow. Yeah, so all this wheat not only helped make ramen popular, other wheat-based foods like gyoza, those little dumplings, those also became pretty popular in this period because of that. Yeah, people had to change their diets because the rice just wasn't available in the quantities they were used to. Mm -hmm. You know, back in the food episode, real early on, I talked a little bit about how in Japanese schools, they started feeding kids a lot more wheat-based stuff. Yeah. This is the origin of that, too. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. Feed them what you got. At least they're feeding the kids. Yeah. So this voucher system for food plus street vending being illegal led to the involvement of organized crime, mm-hmm. which in Japan, they are called the Yakuza. And I saw that nearly 90% of ramen food stalls at this time were controlled by the Yakuza who extorted protection money from them. Yeah. Pretty crazy time. Yeah, yeah. Food stalls. Anything that's illegal, the mob will get involved in. Yeah. Around 1950, street vending restrictions were loosened in Japan, and private companies actually begin renting out yatai starter kits. And yatai is a food stall. So they would give you a kit that included equipment and everything else you needed to start a little ramen stall. Pretty cool. Yeah, it was a rare opportunity for entrepreneurship at the time when Japan was still struggling to rebuild and recover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but things ramped up pretty quickly in the mid-1950s. Japan was rebuilding, the economy started booming, and ramen boomed too. We talked about how it was a cheap filling meal popular with blue-collar workers. And as Japan was preparing for the 1964 Olympics, all the construction workers that were building all this new stuff for the Olympics ate a ton of ramen to keep their energy up while they're working all day. I bet. Mm -hmm. Also, in 1958, a man by the name of Momofuku Ando first invented instant noodles. Yeah, he started the brand Nisin Chicken Ramen just still around. Nisin, if you go to the grocery store and buy those little instant ramen packs, Nisin is one of the big brands you'll see. He also was the guy that uh, pioneered the world of cup noodles. Basically, I mean, it's the same thing. It's instant ramen. It's just in a styrofoam cup now. But that didn't come around until 1971. Okay. Yeah. Those are so convenient. Just add hot water. Mm -hmm. Three, five minutes later, you're ready to eat some noodles. Pretty amazing and delicious. I bring those to work sometimes. And I, I want to point out, a lot of people think it's cup of noodles or cup o noodles. Just cup noodles. Next time you have one of those in your hand, just take a look at it. Read it very carefully. It just says cup noodles on there. 
But in Japan, it's actually not cup noodles. Did you know that, Paul? No. What's it in Japan? Cup noodle. Singular. Ah, it's just one long noodle. <laughs> it could be. Who knows? I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think it's quite that, but it's probably because in Japanese, words aren't pluralized. Like They don't have something they put on the end to indicate that there's more than one of that thing. Yeah. So I assume that's why it just translated to cup noodle instead of a bunch of noodles. Yeah, it seems like it could be translated either way then. Yeah. So ramen was popular. And in the 80s and 90s, ramen got even more popular. It was like super trendy. This was when ramen museums opened. And there are several of those we will talk about later. Some ramen chefs became celebrities, like people that are really just known for their super, super awesome ramen. Ramen spread around the world. People in Japan would even wait outside of popular ramen places for hours just to get this legendary ramen that everyone's been talking about. And this is that time period when all these regional variations started popping up. Yeah, leading to a hugely diverse number of types of ramen you can get. Yeah, It's pretty incredible. Yeah. So these days you can find all sorts of ramen at all different price points. But it's usually pretty inexpensive. Like I said earlier, the 500, 1,000 yen. So there's your brief history of ramen. But there's a ton of documentation, like a surprising amount of information out there about the history of ramen if you're interested in diving in even deeper. Yeah, it seems to be something people care about a lot, judging by the amount of info that you can easily find. Yeah, definitely. Some things we research, it's a little more difficult to dig stuff up on. Mm -hmm. But not ramen. So let's talk more about what ramen is. Yep. And if we're going to talk about ramen, let's start with the noodles. The noodles are important. Wouldn't be ramen without the noodles. What can you tell us about ramen noodles, Jason? Well, generally, ramen noodles are made of four ingredients. You got water, wheat flour, salt, and something called kansui, which is a type of alkaline water also known as lye water. And I wanted to go into a little more detail on that kansui stuff. I thought that was pretty interesting. So this stuff is important for giving the noodles their firm texture and a yellowish hue. And this stuff originated in Inner Mongolia. Did you know that, Paul? No, that's interesting. Yeah. There are some lakes there that naturally contained just the right combination of minerals for making noodles. Interesting. That's really awesome. Mongolia, the land of tasty lakes. Yeah, making noodles out of lake water. And uh, you can make your own kansui, though. You don't need to go to Mongolia to get their lake water. You can make your own by baking baking soda. Baking baking soda and mixing it with water? Yeah. Okay. You take the baking soda, you put it on a pan, like spread it out thin, stick it in the oven, and that turns it into sodium carbonate. Mix that with water. There you go. Got your very own homemade kansui. Wow. All right. I also saw sometimes eggs are used as substitute for the kansui. Okay. So that's an important element. So once you have your noodles, you can make them in all sorts of different shapes and sizes and different regions of Japan and different types of ramen kind of call for different types of noodles. You can have flat or round ones. You can have thick or thin ones. 
You can have straight or wrinkled ones. It can be all sorts of noodles, but they're all made with those same ingredients. Yeah, some restaurants even let you specify the thickness of noodle you want or the doneness of it, whether yeah, regular firmness. or extra firm. Yeah, I like them a little extra firm. And traditionally, these noodles were made by hand, but these days a lot of places have machines that'll make the noodles for them. But they, the machine still tries to kind of approximate the manual handmade method. Hmm. Anything else about noodles, Paul? No, that was all I had. Okay, that's noodles. What else is uh, an important element of ramen? That's going to be the soup base or the broth. Yeah, so this broth is really what makes different types of ramen stand apart. And we're going to get into categories of types of broth, but if you want to, just some general information about all types of ramen broth. It's usually made from chicken or pork stock. It might be flavored with all sorts of different things. You could flavor it with kombu, which is kelp, seaweed, katsuobushi, which is dried, fermented, smoked skipjack tuna, or bonito, two different types of fish. It could be flavored with niboshi, which is dried baby sardines. You might see broth flavored with shiitake mushrooms. And you know, interestingly, all these things that I've listed so far, the kombu, katsuobushi, niboshi, and shiitake mushrooms, all four of those are among the most popular ingredients for making a stock for miso soup, too. Mmm. Yeah. I suppose soup bases, there's going to be a little similarity, a little crossover. Yeah. yeah, you know, in all sorts of Japanese soups, if you look at the ingredients, you'll see a lot of similar stuff. There's kind of a Japanese sort of flavor profile. Yeah, the all over. basics of Japanese-style cooking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beef or pork bones can also be used for flavoring the broth. And onions sometimes. And like we said, there are tons of regional variations. Too many to go into. But different types of ramen can generally get grouped into four categories. So Paul, what's, uh, what's your favorite category of ramen? Uh, vegan ramen. It's not, one, not of the, one. it's not one of the four main categories. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, the most popular is shoyu which is soy sauce-based or soy sauce-flavored. It's uh, usually a clear brown broth, usually made from chicken, but often contains other meats in it as well. And usually vegetables in there too, right? Yeah. And being the most popular type of ramen, if you're ordering ramen and it doesn't specify what type of ramen it is, it's usually shoyu. Mm. They'll just assume, like, that's, that's the one it is. Okay. And this one is usually served with curly noodles, but not always. Again, lots of variations. The next one would be shio, which is salt, just salt-based. Yeah, this is the oldest of these four categories. Yeah, probably the most basic. Yeah. You're going to have a light, clear, yellowish broth made from chicken, vegetables, fish, and or seaweed, and of course, a bunch of salt. Yep. And this one usually has straight noodles. But not always. Okay. <laughs> um, another of the four major types is miso ramen, which is made with miso paste, miso deriving from fermented soybeans. Mm-hmm. This style of ramen was first created in Sapporo, Hokkaido in the 1960s. To give them that hearty soup to get them through the winter is what I heard. It's a little thicker broth sense. base. Yeah. 
It's a rich and complex flavor with a dark brown soup base. Yep. And usually thick, curly, chewy noodles. You need those uh, thick ones to soak up all that flavor. And the fourth major category, this one's near and dear to your heart, Jason. So I'll let you go with this one. Thank you, Paul. This one is called Tonkotsu Ramen, and it is amazing. And I want to point out, a lot of people confuse this with something called tonkatsu. Tonkatsu, tonkotsu, they sound very similar, but they're very different things. So tonkotsu ramen is pork bone ramen. Tonkotsu means pork bones. Tonkatsu is a breaded fried pork cutlet, which is popular served with curry or on its own with shredded cabbage. It's, It's a popular food in Japan too but very different from the tonkotsu ramen. Tonkotsu ramen is particularly popular in Kyushu. Yeah, it was actually created in Fukuoka, where it is known as Hakata ramen. Hakata is the central ward of Fukuoka. Okay. Named after that. Yeah, name it after yourself if you invent it, right? Sure. That's cool. And tonkotsu ramen, the reason it is so incredible and my favorite type of ramen is it's thick and creamy and it's a cloudy broth because like i said it's made from pork bones and you boil those pork bones for a really really long time so all the fat and collagen just kind of falls apart and becomes a part of the broth and there's just so much flavor in there sometimes they boil those bones for up to 20 hours like it's it's not an easy type of ramen to make on your own in your kitchen it kind of only makes sense for restaurants that are making like a big batch of it you know what I mean? Yeah. Otherwise, it's just, it's a lot of work to make. Yeah. It's so good. If you're in Japan, make sure to try some tonkotsu ramen. You won't regret it. So those are the main four categories of ramen. But there is another one I wanted to mention that you see sometimes these days called kare ramen. Curry ramen. So this type of broth is usually made with pork bones and veggies and seasoned with curry. Curry is another very popular food in Japan. Yeah. Curry, noodles, I'm into it. Mm-hmm. The broth is almost like a mix. It's like halfway between ramen broth and actual curry because it's going to be like pretty thick, like even thicker than tonkotsu ramen usually. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And they use those thick curly noodles too to make sure you're picking up as much of that broth as possible. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we covered noodles, covered broth, but that's not all there is in ramen. What else we got, Paul? There's going to be toppings. You got to dress it up a little bit. Yeah. I will uh, cover some of the veggie toppings here. Okay. Green onions. In Japan, they call it negi. And I mean, green onions isn't a real specific term. A lot of different species are called green onions in different places around the world. But negi is a specific species that you don't really see in the U.S. It's very closely related to what we call green onions, but not quite the same thing. Also, bean sprouts. Mm-hmm. Very healthy and delicious. They are. Bamboo shoots. Yeah, often fermented bamboo shoots. Like, there's a specific way they prepare them. Those are called menma. Just one more way bamboo is used. Mm-hmm. Delicious bamboo. Corn. I thought that was interesting. Corn and soup. Yeah. You'll especially see that one in miso ramen, like that Sapporo style we were talking about. 
often topped with a little slice of butter Mm -hmm. that melts into the soup. Yeah. Also, nori, which is seaweed, Mm -hmm. is a common uh, add-on or topping. Yeah, a lot of times they just slice up a couple little squares of seaweed and kind of have it poking out the side. So it's still like crispy. Got to have that presentation. Yeah. looks beautiful. Yeah. And that texture, it's just nice to have a little bit of the crunch from the seaweed. Or sometimes I like to drown it and just it soaks up all that broth. It's good that way too. Yeah. Everyone's got their own little style of eating. Mm -hmm. Those are the common vegetables that I saw. I just have one more. Oh, yeah? That you didn't mention. Uh, Benny shoga. Uh, What's that? That is red pickled ginger. And this is popular in a lot of different types of Japanese food. You might have seen it on gyudon, like a, a beef rice bowl. Okonomiyaki, sometimes you'll see a little bit on top of there. It's like, Paul's giving me this look like he's not quite sure what I'm talking about. Well, I think I know what you're talking about, but they're putting it in the ramen? Yeah, just a little bit on just top. Just like little, kind of little shavings or like the full slices? It's, so Benny Shoga specifically is that type where it's like, it's bright red and they're sliced into these thin little strips. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, okay, yeah. You'll see yeah, it on yakisoba a lot of the time. That's a really common place to see it fried noodles they'll just have this little tiny pile of bright red ginger okay yeah that's cool yeah it's pickled ginger but it's not the same as the pickled ginger you see for sushi different type of thing okay well now that we've talked about the veggies why don't you tell us a little bit about the meat okay and the all-important eggs yes so one common thing especially in that tonkotsu ramen that i'm so obsessed with something called chashu which is pork that is braised in a mixture of soy sauce, sake, mirin, sugar, ginger, that negi, green onion type stuff. Basically, they just boil this meat for a real long time so it gets super tender and it's infused with all these different flavors. And then they slice it real thin and put it on top of the ramen and it's, oh, it's so good. I mean, it just melts in your mouth like it's like the most tender meat you've ever had, probably. Really good stuff. And then the eggs that you were talking about, you got your seasoned boiled eggs. So these are usually soft boiled, so the yolk is still creamy. Often you'll see the outside of the egg, like it might look a little brown. There's a mixture that they make of soy sauce and mirin. I should probably say what that is. I mentioned that before, and I'll say it like an American. Mirin, M-I-R-I-N, is, uh, you can kind of think of it as a little similar to sake, but it would be sweeter and less alcoholic. Really, really common in all sorts of Japanese foods. Soy sauce and mirin together, two of the most common flavors you'll find in Japanese food. Yeah, it's like a cooking wine. Yeah, you could call it that. So yeah, they use the soy sauce and mirin, marinate those eggs in it just to give them a little extra flavor. Okay, interesting. Yeah. You'll also often see something called kamaboko, which is translated a lot of the time as fish cake, which I feel like for a lot of people doesn't really tell you anything. Like it tells you it's made of fish, but what, what is a fish cake? Yeah, if you didn't know what a fish cake was, you'd be like, what? Yeah. So basically they have this fish paste that they form into these little logs, sort of. <laughs> well, that <laughs> doesn't really sound grab much a, better. Grab a log of fish cake. <laughs> yeah. Fish paste log. It doesn't sound much better than fish cake, I suppose, but... You know, this fish paste can be formed into different shapes, and then that log is sliced into thin little uh, coin-sized sort of pieces that go into your ramen. Yeah. One of the most 
common types you'll see is it looks like a little white flower, sort of, maybe the size of a quarter or so. It's like a white thing, and it has a little pink spiral in the middle. Have you seen those, Paul? Yeah, I have. So that type is called Narutomaki because this is kind of fun. I have some fun facts about this stuff. That pattern, the spiral, is meant to resemble the Naruto whirlpools, which are these famous whirlpools in the Naruto Strait, which is a body of water that divides Shikoku from Awajishima, another uh, island of Japan. But if you're an anime fan, you've probably heard of an anime called Naruto, one of the biggest ones ever, perhaps. Yeah. And on his headband, he's got a little spiral on there because his name comes from that same place, those Naruto whirlpools. Isn't that fun? It is. So those are definitely not all of the toppings that you could possibly see on ramen, but those are some of the more popular ones. And if you eat at a ramen restaurant, a lot of times you'll see a bunch of seasonings kind of sitting out in front of you that you can just throw in to season your ramen as you see fit. For example, white pepper, pretty common to see. Black pepper, perhaps. Chili pepper, if you need a little spice. Sesame seeds are really common. Even uh, ground up sesame seeds, so they're releasing all that flavor. Mm. You might find crushed garlic. I'm pretty sure at the one I went to in Fukuoka, they had like just little peeled garlic cloves and a little crusher. You could crush your own garlic. Maybe that's somewhere else. Saw that somewhere. That's cool though, wherever that was. Yeah. And shichimi togarashi, something you'll see, not even just with ramen, but with all sorts of Japanese soups. And this is a seven spice blend. Definitely worth trying out if you come across it. It's, it's got a lot of different types of flavors in there. You got chili pepper in there. There's some like citrus kind of flavor. Huh. Like if you smell it, you can smell a little bit of like orange kind of flavor in there. Okay. You'll see sesame seeds in there, other stuff. Good stuff. A little spicy though. Be careful with it if you're not big on spicy things. Nice warning there. It's good to know. Yeah. So ramen is considered a full meal and mm-hmm. you'll often just eat a bowl of ramen. Yep. But you at a ramen restaurant, you can get some side dishes too. Sure. The most common one you've already mentioned, gyoza. Yeah. Another wheat-based food. So the two have always kind of gone together, I guess, in Japanese society, at least going back for a while. And importantly, don't forget a cold beer. Mm. Cold beer with a hot bowl of ramen is just a really good pair. Oh, man. Now I wish I was sitting in a ramen restaurant right now because that just sounds amazing. Me and you over two bowls of ramen with some gyoza in between us and a couple cold beers. We need to make that happen ASAP. What are you doing tomorrow night? <laughs> Eating ramen, baby. <laughs> All right. So if you're in Japan and you're hankering for some ramen, you've got a lot of experience with this, Jason. Where's the best place to go? Well, you'll probably want to find a ramenya, a place that sells ramen. Like they specialize in ramen. That's where you're going to find the real good stuff because they do one thing and they do it well. And, you know, you can look for the word ramen written in English or if you look up what that word ramen looks like in katakana, the way it's written in Japanese, you will see those places everywhere. Like once you can recognize that word, 
you'll notice pretty much every block that you walk down, there's going to be some sort of ramen place. Yeah, if you're by a train station or a busy road or you're in an entertainment shopping district, you're going to find one mm-hmm. or 20. Yeah, and I, I believe there are Michelin star ramen restaurants that you can find. Like if you want to look it up and find you know, a real famous one, those are around. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about Michelin stars before. Yeah. Given out to the best restaurants in the world. Yep. There are, you know, just a bunch of little mom and shop, mom, mom and pop ramen shops. Oh, that's a fun rhyme. Yeah, that was cool. Mom and pop ramen shop. <laughs> uh, those are all over the place. There are also some ramen chains. There's one called Ichiran, which I love. A lot of people hate on it because it's a chain. It's kind of like the McDonald's of ramen shops, people like to say, but their tonkotsu ramen is really, really good. Like I went to ramen shops in Fukuoka where tonkotsu ramen was created, and some some of them I didn't think were quite as good as Ichiran. Interesting. Yeah. It's nice to know you're going to get probably the same flavor, a very similar flavor, no matter where you are in the country going to one of those stores. Yeah. It's consistent, delicious, really quick and easy. Like this place, a lot of ramen shops, especially in big cities, they'll have a little vending machine selling tickets. You buy a ticket for the type of ramen you want. If you want extra toppings, they have separate tickets that you can buy for that. And you just like hand over your tickets and they bring you what you ordered. So you don't have to talk to anybody. Like it's really simple quick and easy. Yeah. In my experience, ramen shops are pretty small, but I read that most of them have at least a number of tables too, to go along with the bar, the ramen bar. Is that your experience? Yeah. I mean, they can be laid out in all sorts of different ways. Ichiran, they have like these aisles and on both sides of the aisle, there's just rows of seats. There are places that are just like ramen bars, like sushi bars, you know, it's just a similar sort of thing. A limited number of seats, pretty small place. I've been to other places where, yeah, they had this the bar type thing, and then they also had another section with tables. So yeah, it varies. Yeah, a lot of variety in what ramen shops are going to look like. Okay. And I think we might have mentioned earlier in the intro that you can find ramen at many restaurants that don't specialize in ramen, too. Sure. It's often a menu item. And... You get ramen 24-7 at convenience stores. That's often going to be the instant variety. Yeah. I mean, they'll have a lot of those. A lot of times, one side of an aisle is completely dedicated to instant ramen. They got a lot of different flavors. Yeah. The amount of choices is staggering. Yeah. (laughs) And they'll warm it up for you there, and you can walk out the store eating ramen. You know, now, I don't know, talking about this does make me curious about uh, that Google search you were talking about. Like, can you just survive on ramen? If you just went to the convenience store and bought up all those different types of instant ramen, could you eat nothing but that and be okay? If you're young and healthy, I think you could survive for a while, but it's definitely not well-balanced enough to really be healthy healthy, at all. But I wonder how long you could actually live on it. (laughs) Possibly for decades. But you might have developed some serious issues. Yeah. Well, there are people, I feel like I heard about some guy that only ate pizza for decades. There used to be this picky eater show that I saw. Yeah. There was like a guy that only ever ate cheeseburgers. Yeah. He'd he'd like lie to his wife. Oh yeah, I ate that lunch you packed me in like down two cheeseburgers. (laughs) Dude did not look good either. Mm. He was like our age and he did not look good. Like big or... 
What do you mean? Like kind of big, but like his skin was terrible. He was like losing clumps of hair. Like he just did not look healthy. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, There's also ramen vending machines. Are you, you're talking about ones that actually have like a, like not instant ramen, like an actual full bowl of ramen. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Where they like preload it with noodles and. They warm up the broth and like pour it in the bowl and yeah. chunk out pops like a bowl of ramen for you. Yeah, I think I saw that when we were researching our vending machines episode. Yep. Yep. So those aren't as common, but you can find some around if you want that experience. Yeah, that would be cool. So I want to talk briefly about how to eat ramen. Put it in that hole in your face. That's, uh, that's the main point for sure. <laughs> Don't miss the hole. So you're going to get it in that hole in your face with chopsticks and a Chinese style spoon. Uh, the spoon can help you drink that delicious broth and with the small toppings, if you've got corn or whatever floating around in the soup. Yeah. You know, here's a tip because it's easy sometimes to forget about the broth and just slurp down all those noodles. And then you just got a bowl of broth left. But that broth is so tasty and such an important part of the dish. Like, make sure you're scooping up a bunch of that broth and pouring that into your face whole, too, because yeah. you don't want to miss out on that. That's something I recently figured out, too. Mm-hmm. You know, eat a couple scoops of noodles and then drink, uh, drink some broth Yeah, as you go. Yeah, and if you're really into that broth, don't be afraid to lift that bowl right up to your face whole and tip it just right on in there. Just let it cascade down your throat. Oh man, I'm getting so hungry. (laughs) Ramen should be eaten quickly as the noodles can get soggy. Mm -hmm. So don't wait. Start stuffing it down your face as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's definitely best fresh. You'll even notice if you get a bowl of ramen, the end of that bowl doesn't taste quite as good as the very first few bites. If you're looking at the bowl going, oh, it's so hot though, how am I going to eat this? Well, you're in luck. Because it's perfectly okay to slurp your noodles in sure. Japan. Yeah. So as you slurp your noodles into your mouth, it cools them off a little bit and supposedly enhances the flavor. Don't really know how that one's possible. You know, I can imagine it like uh, aerating the broth a little bit. You know what I mean? Okay. Like the yeah. more air that's mixed into a liquid, the more you, you get the flavors. Spreading out okay. across your tongue. Maybe makes it pop a little more. Sure. That's like, you know, they have, they have wine aerators that are supposed to make the wine taste better by adding air to it. I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and the last note I have is it is okay to leave the broth unfinished, but if you completely empty your bowl, it is considered a compliment to the chef. Sure. And, you know, I want to add one thing, too. Before you start putting that stuff in your face hole, is it gross that I keep saying face hole? It's just, I like, I like that. I mean, fun. we're talking about mouths. There's a few holes in your face, but I think everyone understands. The big one. <laughs> the big face hole. <laughs> anyway, when the ramen comes out to you, just take a second to appreciate the visual aesthetics because there's a lot of care put into placing those toppings in the right way, situating the noodles in the right way so that they're all facing the same direction, you know. It really is uh, an art form, putting together a perfect bowl of ramen. Take a picture, mm-hmm. post it on Instagram, tag us because we want to see it. Yes, definitely. And then shove it in your face hole. Yep. Proper way to eat ramen. There you go. 
And I mean, it can, they can be really impressive. There was a place I went to that the toppings were piled up like six inches above the top of the bowl. Wow. I've never seen that. that that's cool. Yeah. So did you, did you get one like that? Mm-hmm. So do you have to just start eating toppings or did it all mix in? Well, you could kind of reach in like by the side of the toppings and grab some noodles okay. that way if you wanted, or you could just kind of like, there's a lot of, uh, air in, in there between all the toppings. So you could just kind of smush them down into the broth. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. Yeah. But that visual when it comes out. Yeah. Like, it's impressive. It's like six inches over the side of the bowl. Like, wow, this looks awesome. So I have a few other ramen type things that I wanted to mention. Some similar dishes, perhaps inspired by ramen. Some ramen spinoffs. Mm-hmm. One of them, I mean, we already mentioned instant ramen. Mm-hmm. It's hard to overstate how important or huge instant ramen is in Japan. Yeah, I mean, they were a big deal when they were invented, and they're still a big deal. Like in the U.S., you'll find pork, chicken, and shrimp flavors usually. Those are kind of the only three I feel like you see a lot in the U.S., but in Japan, it's like they have instant curry ramen, instant curry cheese ramen, instant seafood ramen. Like, I can't list them all, but they have a lot different kinds of instant ramen. Another ramen type thing is something called tsukemen. It's basically if you took a bowl of ramen and you took out the broth and put that in a separate bowl. Okay. Tsukemen. Okay. You kind of like dip the noodles. Right, right. You got dry noodles, you got your broth on the side, dip them in there. The broth can be hot or cold, which is interesting. Okay. Yeah. Variation there. There's also something called mazemen, which is similar except there is no broth. It's like dry ramen. You just got the noodles and a bunch of toppings, and you just mix them all together in your bowl and eat it that way. Okay, yeah, I'd try that. Yeah. So that's all I got. Some variations on ramen. So if you're in Japan and you're into ramen, there's uh, some ramen-related attractions that you can check out. The first one I would recommend is a place that uh, Jason and I have been to, the Yokohama Cup Noodle Museum. Yeah, that place is super cool. It was awesome. And I mean, obviously, this is specifically about instant ramen. Well, even more specifically, the instant ramen in a styrofoam cup, cup noodles. And uh, you can actually make your own there. You get your own little styrofoam cup. You You get markers, you sit down at a table and you can decorate it however you want. And then they stick the noodles in there for you and you can pick any kind of like seasoning you want for the broth, any kind of toppings you want. They just have a bunch of stuff to choose from. And then you can watch them like seal it up for you and put it in shrink wrap so that when you get it, it looks exactly like the kind you would buy at a store. Yeah. They even put it on a string for you so you can like wear it over your shoulder and you don't have oh, yeah. to like carry it around with you all day. Yeah. They had these little, it's not even like a bag. You get this plastic inflatable, I mean, it is sort of a bag, but it inflates. Yeah, <laughs> so to protect a, your noodles. Yeah, it's a flat plastic bag. You stick your noodles in there, and then they have little air pumps, and you pump it up, and then they have the string attached to that. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's yeah. Cool. That was cool. So you could like stick it in your luggage, and it wouldn't get crushed or anything, because it's got this. And it was good, too. My personally designed ramen turned out really well. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Ate it a couple days later at the hotel or something. Yeah, a lot of fun. 
Um, you can also make ramen noodles from scratch there too. Um, yeah. You need a reservation for that. But that looked really cool. You can see them doing it through the big windows into the kitchen. Yeah, I think we saw like an elementary school class that was making them. Like I bet they do uh, field trips yeah, there. Yeah, that's what it schools. looked like. They've got interactive exhibits. They've got some modern noodle-related art, some of which I thought was pretty cool. Yep. They had a little video with English. You know, you could get a little audio thing. They gave you the whole presentation in English, so yep. you didn't need to know Japanese. And, I mean, the story is really cool. It is. It is. This guy didn't manage to figure out the perfect way to make these noodles until pretty late in his life, and then he kind of became a celebrity. Yeah, I don't even know if he started trying to make instant noodles until he was in his 40s or something already. Yeah, or maybe even 50s. And it, like it, was, and it took him like four or five years to really get it right. Yeah. They have a replica of the little shack that he did all his experiments in. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. My favorite part was the room with the huge glass walls. Mm -hmm. And they had one of each type of ramen that was introduced by their company every year. So it was like decades worth of different flavors of ramen. And it was mind-blowing. And yeah. it looked so cool. Yeah, and they had like the original packaging for all these yeah. going back to you know the late 50s. All right, enough about that. It's super cool. If you want to go there, you can experience all the rest. Yes, go there. Another place I saw that I didn't make it to is also in Yokohama, Shin Yokohama Ramen Museum. Yeah, so this one's more about the non-instant variety of ramen. And I saw that they actually have a section in there where it's like this whole floor is made to look like a 1960s street in Japan, and it's just filled with ramen restaurants. Yeah, and each restaurant has a different type of regional ramen that they specialize in, and they give out little samples. So you can go around trying the ramen and figuring out which one you like or what your style is. So cool. And that setting looks so cool, too. Like yeah. the classic Tokyo streets, like back to the day when it was first becoming really popular as a street food. Yeah. Like it really looks like you're going back in time. And then the ceiling even looks like open blue sky. It just makes you feel like you're being transported to this 1960s street. It looks pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a cool place. There are other ramen museums and exhibits around Japan as well, but those are the two that popped out at me. You got anything else on ramen, Jason? Um, well, I just wanted to point out, we talked about where to find ramen in Japan, mm -hmm. but you might be able to find some ramen near you. Oh, that's true. No matter where you are. You're in Midwestern America. There are actually a few ramen shops around. Yeah, there's definitely a few that we could get to from here. Yeah. So, you know, wherever you are, I mean, ramen is one of those things that Japan has really exported to pretty much everywhere in the world. So you can probably find a ramen place no matter where you are. Yeah, it's maybe not as prevalent as sushi, but it's not far behind. Yeah. I don't even know if I told you, but when I was in LA last week, I stopped at a ramen place in Little Tokyo. Nice. Yeah, it was so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, LA especially has tons of ramen places. I mean, they have a lot of Japanese people living there, so it makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's all I have for ramen. I guess that's the end of the episode. If you want to reach out to us, Send us an email to feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. 
If you want to see some pictures of delicious ramen that I personally have eaten, you can check out our Instagram at SJP Podcast. Paul, what are we talking about next time? Next episode is about Tanuki. And this is another listener suggestion. This will be a really fun one, I think. Tanuki are cool animals. It's an animal, in case you weren't aware. They do appear a lot in Japanese mythology in very strange ways that are uh, going to be really fun to talk about, I think. Yeah. If you're a fan of the Mario franchise, yeah, you might have some idea in your head of what a Tanuki looks like. Yeah, so that'll be a fun one. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.